Today we're going to be starting a brand new series uh, that I'm really excited about. It's, it's called, uh, it's just, just calling it Gravity. And uh, um, gravity, overcoming what's holding you down. And uh, if I were to, uh, I, I meant to bring something to, dis- to uh, illustrate gravity. Uh, Aiden, throw me one of your shoes. Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah, your J's, I know. You're going to walk it up here. I'm going to drop it. Um, woo! Look at this. Look at this freshness. That is fresh. Um, you know, if I, when we drop something, there is a force that caught, yeah, wow. Uh, gravity is this, mag, it's this kind of mysterious force that some of the smartest scientists in the world just I, I, I couldn't figure out. And I, I would imagine that, you know, you go, Isaac Newton just over and over would just, you know, like doing his calculating thing. Thank you for helping me, Aiden. Yeah, you got it. Good job. Yeah, I scuffed him up. Uh, but if, when you drop something, uh, it falls straight to the ground. We know this to be gravity. There's, there's no strings no magnetism, no electricity, but yet there's this invisible force that is constantly pulling us down. It's what's holding you in your seat right now. Uh, it's what's maybe causing some of, some of this on my eyes, and it's a constant force that we are under. The ancient world considered gravity a mystery, and even in the, uh, in the 17th century, Isaac Newton, which is one of the greatest scientists of all time, uh, Isaac Newton did not understand it, and it actually haunted him until his death. You see, Isaac Newton, he could explain gravity. He could explain that mass and distance and, and attraction, and, uh, but, but he did not know what caused it. And it's still a mystery to this day that we can describe uh, uh, gravity and the inverse law and all these things, and, uh, but there is still no explanation as to why and what causes gravity. And, uh, and so gravity is the relationship between the mass and distance of two objects. And so uh, uh, we, we see how the gravitational pull of even the moon, it, the moon is a, uh, that orbits the earth has a mass to it, and it's close to the earth. And and it has an effect on the gravity of Earth, and we see it manifested in the tides that we see at the ocean. If you've ever been to the ocean, then you can, you can even look up the tide schedule of low tide, high tide, and, and how that is affected by this lunar uh, gravitational pull. And right now, where you're, we're all sitting here in this room, and yet your bodies are attracting gravity from... Uh, uh, from planets and stars and galaxies all around the entire universe. Did you know that? All, all for, uh, galaxies in the universe, your, your body's attracting that, uh, that gravitation right now as we speak. Now, it's very minimal, but it's still there. It's constantly pulling you down. And uh, uh, aero, uh, aerophysicists have studied and worked many, many, many years to overcome gravity, and, and if you've ever flown in a plane or if you've ever watched, launched a rocket in the sky, gravity is something that you can overcome with some type of force, and they've worked many years to overcome gravity in order to, to make objects or even human beings take flight, and, uh, and, but I too, 
I too, as a pastor, have worked many years, many years, worked very hard to help people also lift out of what is holding them down. You know, people are held down by anxiety. People are held down with anger problems, held down by lust, held down by shame. People are pulled down by depression. People are held down with a lack of motivation. They're pulled down with a, a lack of a sense of purpose in their life. They're, hurt down, they're, they're pulled down by hurt and rejection. All kinds, a number, a number of things is constantly pulling us down. Have you ever, maybe, maybe you've even said, I just feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. Or, or maybe you, you've, you've uh, had a, an experience with God where you've said, man, I feel that the weight has been lifted. Well, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary, and I will t- take my yoke upon your shoulders, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We've got all this stuff weighing us down, pulling us down all around us. It may be invisible for us to see, but we feel the gravitational pull of these effects that's on us. In fact, the pull of gravity, uh, it affects every single one of us. And so this morning, I'm talking about overcoming what is holding you down. And, and overcoming what is holding you down, there is it is pulling us all down. It affects every single one of us. This is what Romans 3.10 says. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous. No, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have, uh, uh, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Not even you. Not even me. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This describes every one of us. You see, the gravitational pull affects every one of us. We can't escape it. And this gravitational pull on all of humanity is the weight of sin. So the gravity of sin has affected us all. It's affected us all. It is a reality that there is none righteous, not even one. Your best day is still filled. I'm sorry to tell you this, but there is. We all were born with this cancer on the inside of us, and it's called sin. And it is pulling us down. It's constantly pulling you down. You could be serving the Lord for decades and decades and decades, but this gravitational pull of sin is constantly after you. It's not just holding, gravity is not just holding our bodies down, but this, the, the, the reality of the gravity of sin, it's not just holding our bodies down, it's holding our spirits down, and I watch it hold people's potential down. Gravity overcoming what is holding you down. Romans 6, 11 through 14, this is what it says. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in, uh, in, to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves 
to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master. Sin shall no longer be holding you down because you are not under the law but under grace. So the God who holds the entire universe together is also the God who can give us lift to overcome the stuff that's pulling us down. And how I, there have been so many moments in my life where I have come to a, 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 a fork in the road, I've come to a roadblock where it had to be God to lift me out because I could not escape the gravitational pull. God is the only thing that can give us lift to overcome what's pulling us down. To lift through the pull of gravity, um, you know, these aerophysicists have figured out how to create force and, you know, uh, lift, force, drag, you know, these three elements that cause flight, uh, um, and, and they've been able to really uh, exceed the pull of gravity. There's, there's, three, there's four different forces in the world, and gravity is actually the weakest of all four. Uh, one of the forces in the world is electromagnetism or magnetism. And if you think about when your child brings home a project from school and, and you're so proud of it, you can take that, that project, you can put it on the refrigerator and put a magnet to it. And that magnet uh, overcomes the pull of gravity and holds it there. And that, that little magnet is actually like, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not trillions of as times more powerful than the pool of gravity. Gravity is one of the most, although it's constant and we feel it, it's not the strongest. And so there are ways to overcome the pool of gravity. And so uh, for a rocket then to, to leave the earth and go into the atmosphere, well, we, we know that it needs, a, it, it needs a propellant and an oxidizer. So it needs a propellant like a fuel and it needs an oxidizer or oxygen so that the fuel and oxygen then can combust and create lift. Well, God, has, God can give us lift. And, and so what I want to tell you this morning is that the fuel of the Christian life is God's word. The fuel of, Christians, of the Christian's life is God's word. This is why we have to, this is it's a non, non-negotiable at New Life Church, that we are a church that will stand on and teach and live by the word of God. It is the fuel of the Christian life. There is something sacred, there's something spiritual about when you engage with scripture in your life. You may read and not understand every single thing, but something is happening in you and it is fueling your life. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, 1 Timothy uh, 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it is inspired. God breathed life into the words of scripture. Uh, if, 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 um, if Jeff Hughes over here were to expire, uh, he would breathe out and not breathe back in. He expired. Um, but inspiration is that God breathed life into this word. He breathed life into these words. And so all scripture then is God breathed. It is inspired. And watch this. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, 
correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And it will give you the fuel you need to lift. 1 Peter uh, 2 verse 2 says, like newborn babies crave, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, so that by it you may have some lift to overcome what's pulling you down. The word of God is the fuel of the Christian life. That, and we could just end this message right there. It's the fuel of the Christian life. And so in this, in this verse in 2 Peter, I, I see three things. I see attitude, appetite, and an ultimate aim. There's an attitude that we have to have as Christians if the, if the word of God is the fuel for our life. Peter describes this attitude of, as a newborn baby, that, that just as a baby reaches to grab the bottle, we should be reaching to grab the Bible. And if, if those of you parents that might still have young children, uh, you also know that, that babies reach frequently, don't they? The baby has to have milk to sustain its physical life. And you have to have the word of God. You have to have the scriptures to sustain your life spiritually. And too many times I've watched, I've watched Christians say, man, I, I, I need to grow, I need to grow. I, want, I just feel like I'm not growing. I'm like, well, how much of the word are you getting in you? Like, uh, let's not downplay how important and how powerful a regular devotional life can be. It's the fuel of the Christian life. Newborn babies need fed frequently or else they become fussy. Now my wife and I, um, we, we have three boys. Our, our identical twins are 15 and our youngest is 11. Our twin 15-year-olds were born on Jenny and I's 10-month wedding anniversary. So uh, when you are a, 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 early, a, a young youth pastor and uh, you just got married, and your wife's pregnant out to here, and people are going, they're, they're trying to do math problems in their head now. They're like, when's the baby due? When were you married again? When's the due date? And, they're tr- and you can see them doing math, all right? And then the doctor told us, hey, uh, twins come early. I'm like, they come early? He's like, yeah, uh, you know, they run out of room, and everything happens fast, and and I'm like, listen, Doc, those babies got to be in there at least nine months after we got married, all right? I'm in ministry. People are already trying to do math in their head. Our 10-month wedding anniversary, we got married October 20th, 2007, and August 20th, 2008, Aiden and Joel were born. And let me tell you, uh, uh, those, those babies reach for the bottle quite often. And uh, they needed fed quite often. And uh, let me tell you, they're 15. They eat even more. <laughs> they eat even more. We'll buy groceries, and then Jenny's like, where's the groceries? And I'm like, it's right there. It's... So newborn babies, they need fed frequently, or else you get fussy. And uh, there are so many nights that Jenny and I, uh, that, you know, she's holding a crying baby, I'm holding a crying baby, and we're like, happy one-year anniversary, <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, babies get fussy if they don't get fed. They need fed frequently or else they get fussy. 
So let me, let me ask all of you, let me ask you a question. Maybe think over your last week uh, at work or your last week at home. Um, uh, have you been fussy? Yeah, someone's being honest over here. Are you fussy? Are you fussing? Because if you're fussy, you need to check the frequency of your feeding. The word of God is the fuel to the Christian life. Just like babies, they're not fed frequently, they get fussy. And just like Christians, if you're not fed frequently, you too will become fussy. So check the frequency of your feeding. Don't underestimate the power of a daily devotional life. And if you want to have some help with getting engaged with scripture in your life, um, I invite you to join um, my life group, Wednesday night, 6.30, shameless plug. Uh, Wednesday night, 6.30, our Bible engagement life group where you can go through it together with other people. And, we're, in, and we're, we're doing devotions four to five times a week together as a group and gathering uh, once a week as we do that. So if you want help with that, if you want to get started, come join Bible Engagement Wednesday 6.30. So uh, in First Peter, we see this attitude of a newborn baby. You need fed frequently. You've got to keep reaching for the, this book, the Bible. And we, I also see that there's this appetite. It says that to crave spiritual milk. So crave Crave scripture, the crave of scripture is something that means you're longing for it. And I will tell you that, um, that the more you read it, the more you crave it. Uh, now, uh, like, like many foods, taste is cultivated. Um, whenever you meet someone and, and you're like, hey, uh, uh, they, might be, they might like a certain food. And you're like, how in the world can you eat that? And like, how does that taste good to you? You know, taste is cultivated, and, you know, I've gone th- through seasons of health in my life where there's seasons where I'm more healthy than I'm not, and, or healthier than I used to be, and, and I will tell you, I've always said, if I can just be dedicated to uh, eating right for two weeks, then I can overcome bad cravings, and so the more that you uh, exercise appetite in the right direction, you'll actually begin to crave better things. And so we have to have this appetite, and in First Peter it says, "Crave spiritual milk." And so we got we got to lay it out. We got to lay aside the Mountain Dews, right? We got to lay aside the, the sweet stuff and go for the spiritual stuff. And obviously, I'm talking spiritually here that we have to have an appetite for these things. So how do you cultivate the right appetite? Well, you'll never feel like it. The thing about life is choices always lead. And feelings follow. So if you begin to make some, to become disciplined, to put some disciplines in your life, then the feelings of that will begin to follow. But if you wait to feel it before you do it, you'll never do it. Choices lead and feelings follow. Um, many people have said at one time or another, I'm reading the Bible, but I'm just not getting thing, anything out of it. Have, has anyone ever been there before? I'm just not getting anything out of it. Uh, th- this really is a problem with us. It's not a problem with the book. And so some people say, well, I tried reading the Bible. It just didn't do anything. Well, it's not a book problem. It's, it's a me problem at that point. Uh, uh, Psalm 19.10 says that the scripture is sweeter than honey. 
How many of you like honey? Last night before we went to bed, I was feeling a little snacky. And Jenny wasn't around. So I toasted myself a couple pieces of bread. You know that like high fiber, like low net carb bread? Yeah, that bread. Toasted myself a couple low carb bread, a little butter, a little honey. I was putting the kids to bed at the time. May I go to bed? <laughs> you know. I, honey is so good. It's sweet. The psalmist says that the word of God is sweeter than honey. But you would never know that by looking at many Christians today. You say, really? They think it's sweeter than honey? And some of you that are new, um, um, others have, have heard, heard us teach on uh, Scripture in this way before, but, but I want to reiterate it. It's been a while. But there are three basic kinds of Bible readers. And maybe some of you, some of you will remember some of these. Um, there is the medicine reader. Okay, so maybe we'll, we'll see which one of these three you guys kind of like relate to. Okay, the medicine reader, uh, uh, the scripture is like medicine, okay, and to them it tastes bitter, but they know it makes them better. Like, ah, uh, I, I gotta, I'm gonna do these devotions, and you know, it's like it's medicine, and medicine takes it tastes bitter but I know it's supposed to make me better, right? So the medicine reader. And then the second one, it's like shredded wheat. I'm not talking like frosted shredded wheat. I'm talking like the shredded wheat my mom used to buy, and those bricks were about this big. I think if you're under 30, you don't know about this. Those bricks were about this big, and uh, you'd have to chop them up in the milk. But shredded wheat readers... Uh, the scripture is like shredded wheat. It's, it's nourishing, but man, is it dry. Any shredded wheat readers out there? <coughs> so we got our medicine readers. It's bitter, but I know it makes me better. We have our shredded wheat Bible readers that say, uh, man, it, I know it's nourishing, but gosh, is it dry, right? Well, and then, um, and, and, and then there's the, the uh, strawberries and cream readers, that this kind of Bible reader can't get enough of it. This is the sweeter than honey phase of Bible reading. And, and, how did it, and how did they get to acquire this taste that now it seems like strawberries and cream? Well, they acquired it by devouring it. And so which of these three is you? Are you the medicine reader? I know, I, it tastes bitter, but I know it's supposed to make me better. Or, or are you the shredded wheat reader? Like, uh, I know it's supposed to be nourishing, but man, it's just dry. feels like eating a bale of hay sometimes. Or the strawberries and cream reader, where it's just sweeter and sweeter, and you can't get enough of it. And so the purpose of all this is what brings us then to this third word. So we have attitude. We have, we have to crave it. We have to reach for it. And then appetite, we, we just keep devouring it and let taste cultivate, right? And then, but it's all really about aim, aim. And what's the aim of the Bible? Well, the verse says in First, in first Peter, it says, so that you may grow up, that you might grow. In other words, that it will give you lift to overcome what's holding you down. Consuming the word of God is... Not so that you just know, but so that you grow. How many of you have ever encountered someone that knows a lot, but they haven't grown? It's not just so you know. It's so you grow. 
It's not just to fill your head with facts. It's to transform your life, the Word of God. It's the fuel of the Christian life. Fuel alone won't make the rocket go. Fuel alone doesn't give lift. You need fuel. But in order for the fuel to ignite, you need an oxidizer. You need, you need oxygen. And so that when that spark hits, and, and the three elements of fire, you know, is, is fuel, air, and heat. And so when, when that heating element hits that fuel, and the ox, then you need oxygen then to cause combustion. And so the oxygen of the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are always working together. And I have read the Bible without the Holy Spirit before, and I've read the Bible with the Holy Spirit. And I have to tell you that when you read Scripture and you've invited the Holy Spirit into that time, it becomes alive and it gives you lift. So the oxygen of the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, this is what it says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? Your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's think a little bit of Bible here. I'm going to try to do something I would do in 20 minutes. I'm going to do it in two. I did that last week. Think about your Bible here for a second. It says that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Okay, this word temples, where do we see that? Where else do we see this in Scripture? Well, we see it in the Old Testament during the time of David. He built a temple. Well, when he built the temple, it was modeled after what? It was modeled after the tabernacle that Moses built in the desert. It was a a portable place. Well, tabernacle, what what was tabernacle? The word tabernacle means dwelling place. Dwelling place for who? It's the dwelling place of God. And so we see this progression through Scripture where where God, who used to be way up there, now comes down here in this temporary dwelling place called the tabernacle. And then David built a permanent place for the presence of God called the temple. And then Jesus came, and he was the embodiment of the presence of God. He, he, uh, and he was fully man and fully God. And then, and then he ascends, but now where does the, the, God's presence dwell? Well, it says, do you not know that your bodies are the dwelling place of God? It's the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, and you've received him from God. And so, uh, listen, you cannot, the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. And I need the power of the Holy Spirit to ignite my life and give me lift to get to overcome was pulling me down, to, to help me live out the purpose that God's had in my life. In Acts 1.8 it says, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The kind of power that will give you lift in this life. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You can receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit and it will give you power for witness. Now, I, this is a whole other sermon series, but the Holy Spirit it, 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 it's, it's not weird. He is not weird. Okay? We've made him weird. The Holy Spirit is not weird. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not for you to have certain behaviors in the church. The purpose of the Holy Spirit was to give you power to be a witness. Was to, be, to give you power to now live out this mission that God has for his church. 
And so I need the Holy Spirit in my life to guide me, direct me, empower me. And when the, and the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, when they work together in conjunction, oh my goodness, it's so powerful. Romans 8, 11 says, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, in me. Holy cow! You want to talk about overcoming was pulling us down? Get the Holy Spirit in your life, man. It gives you power to be witness, power for your purpose, power for your life. And so I would say this, that when the Word of God and the Spirit of God, when the Word of God and the Spirit of God combust, it gives you lift to overcome what's pulling you down. We have the fuel of the Word of God and the, the oxidizer of the Holy Spirit, and together they combust and they, they give lift. You grow up. You lift. Um, you know, uh, the United States has, has and had the, the, the NASA program. And many of you grew up in the age of all the Apollo missions. And, and it's fascinating to watch as um, the world was trying to put a man on the moon. And we've done it. I mean, if you ever, I look at the moon sometimes, like, people have walked up there. That's just mind-boggling to me. What's also mind-boggling is that the cost of the Apollo missions. The Apollo missions cost, in today's money, $257 billion in today's money. $257 billion. And we have put, and 12 men in this world have walked on the moon. So $257 billion. I don't even know how many millions or billions of man working hours it took to design, to test, to do the math, and to build things that had never been built before. We're talking millions of man hours put in to put 12 men on the moon. Uh, One of these men is a man named James Irwin. James Irwin was an American astronaut He's an aeronautical engineer, a test pilot, and a United States Air Force pilot. He served, as a, uh, he served on the lunar module pilot for the Apollo 15. It, this was the fourth human lunar landing, and James Irwin was the eighth person, the eighth person to ever walk on the moon. I mean, talk about, like, going to parties and, and hanging out with other people and listening to people, you know, talk themselves up. Oh, yeah, I made this deal, made that deal. See, I got this new car. I'm like, yeah, you just let him go. And you say, I walked on the moon. I mean, you win, right? You win. Well, James Irwin was the eighth man to ever walk on the moon. But James Irwin was a follower and believer in Christ. He was, he was, he was a follower. He, he was a Christian. And uh, James Irwin once said uh, that Jesus walking on earth was greater than man walking on the moon. 
It took $257 billion. It took millions and millions of man hours and the, and the invention of brand new technologies. And it took, it took fuel and oxygen and rockets and ships and, and courage and, and, and took, took people being brave and men and women risking their lives. And 12 people have walked on the moon. And James Irwin, who was one of those men that have put his feet on the moon's surface, will tell you, out of how difficult it was and how of a much of an incredible feat it was for them to walk on the moon, he will tell you it was greater that, that Jesus walking on the earth was greater than any man walking on the moon. That yeah, yeah, we overcame gravity and got into orbit on the moon and walked, but for God himself to come down you see, we made all this effort to go up, and the moon's not that, not that far away, but God left heaven and sent his son down to earth to walk this place, the greatest, greatest achievement in all of humanity. It's the only time that, that a God would ever come and visit the earth as himself, and then it's even greater than that. He says, all this stuff that's got you guys pulling you down Guess what? I came down to pull you up. It's the greatest thing that ever happened, I'm telling you. So if you really want to overcome what is pulling you down, Jesus is the answer. He's the answer. He came down. He defeated the opposite of gravity. He came down, and we're trying to lift up. And when Jesus came, he lived the perfect life that you and I Never will. Never will. And then he died the death that you and I, we deserve. We deserve it. The worst team is going to come help me out, and we're going to wrap this up this morning. Jesus walking on earth was greater than man walking on the moon. From a guy that walked on the moon. It's crazy. What's got you, what's pulling you down? People are held down by all kinds of things, like we said. Anxiety and anger and lust and shame, hurt, rejection, depression, lack of motivation, lost sense of purpose. Lots and lots of things pulling us down. And none of us can escape the gravitational pull of sin. It's, and many times it's the sin within that we're struggling with the most. And next week I'm going to tell you how you can lighten the pull of gravity and get into orbit where the sensation of what's pulling you down can ultimately feel like zero gravity. We'll talk about how to enter into orbit next week. But today, if I can inspire someone this morning, it would be that the Word of God is the fuel for the Christian life, and the Holy Spirit is the oxygen, and the Word of God and the Spirit of God, when they work together, will combust and give you lift to overcome what's pulling you down. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I just pray right now that you would begin to just tender our hearts towards you. Somebody may be dealing with sin in their lives and they need to overcome. Somebody, Lord, feels a void in their life. 
They don't know where to turn. Someone feels like they're just getting their head kicked in every week and they need power to overcome. Lord, I pray that as we start this journey of, uh, of overcoming what's pulling us down, God, may we start with these two things. May we start with a daily dose of the Word of God in our life and inviting your Holy Spirit to live in us and empower us. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Wow. That we would be the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit and that we, God, will, will begin to devour your word. Maybe we're medicine readers. It's bitter. I know it's supposed to make me better. Maybe we're shredded wheat readers. It's nourishing, but my goodness, is it dry. But may we continue to devour your word and cultivate a taste that we would crave pure spiritual milk that would nourish us, motivate us, empower us by your Holy Spirit. We're going to sing one last song as we do together. And I just want you to take this moment. I pray that the Holy Spirit would show you ways that you need to respond this week. Not just that we don't just listen to messages. No, we wrestle with them. And I pray that there will be something in here that you can leave today and you can wrestle with in your heart and your mind that would move you to change, move you to a devotional life. And maybe this morning, as we worship this last song, you just need to just surrender yourself and just say, God, I, I, I need you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and power. So let's do that now. God, we just invite you to just come and convict our hearts in any way, shape, or form that, that you, God, would, would we change our craving, but give us a, 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 a resolute mindset to keep pressing on even when we don't feel like it. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.